end of the day, you can look yourself in the mirror and think like, yes, I'm part of something I can believe in, I don't have to fake it. I wish there were more people that would realize that this is a kick-ass industry. I'm not a properly qualified nerd, but I am I am a nerd, so I, I, I get a kick out of <laughs> finding out about this stuff. It's like, I, I'm not a gadgeteer, I don't have to buy the latest mobile, but I'm fascinated, it's beautiful. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life Podcast. Sponsored by Harlequin Floors, World Leader in Floors, Stage Systems and Studio Equipment for the Performing Arts. The Theatre Art Life Podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. And my name is Anna Roll. In the lead-up to LDI in Las Vegas this November, Theatre Art Life is catching up with some of the companies who are exhibiting at the conference. Today on the show we have Hans Stuchen, who is the Global Marketing Advisor for AB Stumpel. AB Stumpel is an award-winning Austrian company that designs, manufactures and markets a range of high-performance mobile and installation projection screens and media software and hardware for professional and business applications. As a family business, its founders started the company out of a passion for the advancement of presentation and installation technologies. Hans, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really nice to see you. From Germany to Hong Kong to America, the three of us are here today. So, <laughs> Living the digital dream, yes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you've been with Avis Stumpel for five or so years, right? So how did you get into the industry and into marketing? Okay, so the, the the short version, as as to not to bore all your <laughs> audience to death, is I originally trained as a, um, a TV and film director and scriptwriter. So I studied television video production at a prestigious university in the United Kingdom. Um, and then for reasons unknown to me, actually, I decided to go back to Germany where nobody kind of knew that I had pretty good training at that point and I didn't have a network at all. I made my way into the German TV industry, actually had a great time for a couple of years, great colleagues. But then, to be perfectly honest, things have changed, have changed now in the last five years. But I've been so inspired by all my, all my teachers at university. I mean, most of them, you know, BBC people, all that kind of stuff in the German TV industry. I mean, I knew that. I grew up in Germany. I'm German. But it's kind of, it wasn't anything like what I wanted it to be. And so at some point, I thought, okay, you've got great colleagues. You know, at that point, I was writing daytime television, which is fun actually, but it's like guilty fun. It's like having, like eating, eating fast food that might actually taste great, but you know, it, it uh, leaves you <laughs> wanting. You. Yes, it's not good for you. I mean, it's not. It, I wasn't manufacturing. You know, I wasn't part of. You know, sort of building landmines. You know what I mean? It's not. You know, or nothing like that. But it's kind of if you come out of an environment that was super, super, super high standard and inspiring, and there's, I thought, you know, actually. Because there's, and that's another story in its own, like German TV industry and how they always try to, instead of doing their own thing, always try to look to the US and UK and then often end up just, you know, copying stuff. Not always, but very more often than not. Um, a friend of mine had founded a tech company. I'm saying it in such a generic sense because that's the way that I'd been introduced to it. It's like, it's like, okay. And so it was a bit of a running gag for a year or three, I believe, where I said, well, I have no idea what you're doing, but should at any point, should you need somebody to do marketing and PR for you, um, why don't you give me a call once you've grown to a certain size? Because I, I figured that, that even a monkey on drugs could uh, should be able to do marketing. And I was right. But um, well, obviously, it's not that simple. But three years down the line, he actually did give me that call. And then I'd always been somebody very much interested 
in technology. I've never been a techie as such, but I was very, very interested in it. So I kind of switched roles in the sense that whilst beforehand I was surrounded by people who in the TV industry, unless they were themselves technicians, were probably more probably less tech-minded than me. Now it's the other way around. And I was the idiot in the room, which is actually quite convenient because then I can say, well, once I understand what you're trying to communicate, there's a really good chance we can actually reach more people with this because I'm like the the, the intellectual crash test dummy. It's like you can dumb it down enough so I can actually understand what you're talking about. Um, it's good. So yeah, so I worked for that company, which was um, a media server company called Coolux, which was later bought by kind of merged with uh, Christie. Christy, um, had a great time there. Then an opportunity arose, which came out of nowhere, as it sometimes does in life. And I became uh, the European marketing director for Absent, not Epson, but Absent, the LED display manufacturer. I had a great time there. And then through a number of coincidences, I made the conscious decision to uh, want to work for a family owned company. Because there's great pros and cons uh, in terms of what your own career ideas are and what you know what your life is like. But the one thing that I found really appealing is that and that still is the case, so I'm still working there, is that within a smaller structure, you can be even as a marketing guy, you can be closer to the actual products, and that's something that I found very satisfying. And I usually, I mean, just on the personal level, because I mean, this is not about me, but since you are. I run on, on emotions and my enthusiasm is not something I simulate at trade fairs or wherever. So I need to really believe in the stuff that we are doing, probably because I, I was raised as an only child. So I like this kind of group mentality thing and I just want to belong somewhere, be part of something bigger <laughs> than myself, maybe something like that. But anyhow, so no, really, I, because with bigger structures, you need different a different organizational structure as soon as you get to a certain size, a certain number of people. And we've got around about 100, 110 people working for A.B. Stumpfel at the moment. And at that kind of size, it's kind of, you know, even if an a the answer should be no to a particular idea or something, at least it's pretty quick, you know, easy to get that no and then to move on from that. Whilst with bigger structures, due to the nature of the beast, um, it's a bit more complicated. I just like being, you know, at the table with the voices that make those products and to know that I can make my voice heard, although obviously my voice is not the most important one, but that gives me gives me a lot of satisfaction. And to wrap this up, I love the industry, the AV industry in the wider sense, because to me, it's one of those industries, no matter how much you're going to try to, you know, BS or filibuster your, your way out of a situation, at the end of the day, a, the, the, the customer has to press a button or something and something has to actually work, something has to play, you know? the sound, the light, whatever it is, it actually has to work. You can't talk your way out of that. So I think there's a bit of a base honesty there in our industry. And maybe I've just been lucky and I've really enjoyed that. And, and I've been, made great friends in the last couple of years, even with competitors. I mean, that's the other thing. It's, it's a growing industry and there's so many great interpersonal relationships that can develop in this, in this industry. So that's how I got to where I'm now. That's amazing. And it's such a common theme, isn't it, Anna? We were saying the other day, um, there is a lot of camaraderie between companies and especially the ones that are going to LDI. Everyone's looking forward to uh, catching up with everybody viscerally and in person after a couple of years away. So I was very interested also um, on your point about if you can understand it, you can market it. And I think that's so true, actually, because it's such, it must be because the technology is quite complex, right? So if you're going to have to sit there and try and explain it to customers in a 
either visually on on the internet for them to get engaged or in person at a trade show or at a at an event where you're trying to um, promote the products is that something that seeing you didn't train naturally in that what what how did you cultivate that skill well to cultivate the skill would um would, would mean that I've actually mastered it to some degree. Maybe I'm just blagging it and, you know, just to finding my way in the dark. The thing is, I come from a storytelling point of view and there's different ways you can approach marketing. So I'm, the, the, my way definitely is not the only way. It's just the only way that I can, I can do. So I'm probably not the guy to give you the perfect pie chart analysis that you, you'd need somebody else for that. But I think it, it's kind of, it's, it's the, the whole process of communication between let's say the R&D department the sales department and the marketing department and some other departments of people I think that that process itself is what's so important because they all have different viewpoints on it and it's not just that there's one singular truth to be communicated it is within the communication that sometimes as a team you then actually realize jointly oh, actually, that's what we should be highlighting. Or isn't it interesting that that's what the customers get out of it? It's just, you know, it's the old cliche where you create a product or something and then somebody uses it for something else or uses it or falls in love with an aspect of it that you didn't even think was that important. So I just, I just believe it's, you have to start from kind of trying to share your strategic vision, what you think this should be used for. And at the end of the day, it is a dance between the feedback you get. Because, I mean, there's no point in me trying, or us as, the, as a team, trying to push a certain point of view. It's like, no, this is what you should like about the product. But it turns out that there's other aspects that out of the field is actually what, what really counts. So it has to be an organic development, I think. So what's the story of, should I say, AFAL Stumpful, heavy Stumpful? The story is that that the that the company runs on enthusiasm and a real passion for for quality, which sounds like, yeah, right, that's like everybody's boilerplate. You know, it's like anyone can say that. You know, I'm sure there's not a single company that says, actually, we don't run on passion and quality. We just want to sell stuff and we don't care. No, but the real point is that, you know, when Reinhard Stumpfel and, and his wife, when they kind of founded and created Afro Stumpfel in the mid-70s, it was there was always this, it was not just a thing, oh, we found something, we could make money with this. There was always real you know, driving passion to cre create, well, new solutions that would actually directly influence uh, the way that people would use these things, especially with the screen projection screen side of things, is if you don't have to handle projection screens, you could be forgiven for thinking that in the last, like, 15 years, 20 years, nothing really changed there because you think, like, well, there's, there's a screen and somebody projects onto it. But this is always in the details and the quality of the engineering. And before I finally made up my mind to join A.V. Schlumpfel, um, I asked some friends of mine in the industry, because I'd come from the media service side of things, so I knew that part of the industry, but I, I didn't really know anything about projection screens. And I asked some friends who were technicians themselves, and they said, no, this is the best stuff. If it's not necessarily the cheapest stuff, but it is definitely the best. And it took me just one trade fair to really understand that because from afar, there's a lot of um, competitors where if that's not your specialty, it just looks almost the same, saying kind of, okay, that's that's kind of a, that's a mobile projection screen. It seems similar. But it was just the first trade fair that I was with A.B. Stumpfel and I could go you know, just directly compare like the quality of the screws and just how it felt and all of that and it's like okay so this is what's the difference so it's 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 a 
it by now it's also like a family honor kind of thing. It's as if you you want to you know, strive to create the best possible quality and to come up with new ideas. And it's so satisfying, especially with me having been beforehand part of the German TV industry, which not until recently was not always been known to be so innovative. To know, no, if we create something, or not me, obviously, but I'm the cheerleader to a certain degree, then people in LA, in Tokyo, in Paris, they are going to use that. There's a good chance it's going to be significant for them. And that's a very satisfying kind of feedback loop to kind of give you enthusiasm for the next thing to develop and to, to market. So, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, family owned, and there is a real passion for coming up with something new that actually still adheres to our quality standards. So that's, and it's not just a story. There's other ways, uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't want to work for a company that pretends that it's, it's at the end of the day, you can look yourself in the mirror and think like, yes, I'm part of something I can believe in. I don't have to fake it. Hmm. It's interesting. So we have a lot of listeners that, listeners that are not technically, probably technically minded, I guess, or specialists in projection screens. So in sort of simple terms, what makes a good projection screen and, and what are some of the advancements that have happened in projection screens over the last 10 to 15 years? Okay, now some of these advancements uh, have to do with surface materials. It's a bit like imagine, I mean, if you, if you, if you were able, this very lame analogy, I have a whole bag of lame analogies, by the way. <laughs> That's my disclaimer. Um, imagine you wanted, to move into, you wanted to move into a new house and you're looking for, I don't know, different types of flooring or something or carpets or something, then obviously there's a whole lot of different choices you have depending on the particular building we're talking about. And the same is kind of true true with regards to projection screens. So there's a couple of factors you always have to, to look into. And depending on that, you would then, we could suggest or our customers or some people who are distributors of ours, they would then recommend certain particular surface materials with particular characteristics that would be best for you. The other question is like very basic. Is it, is it supposed to be a fixed install situation that is just going to be installed once and never change? Is it supposed to be mobile? Because we, I mean, it's not, it's not bragging. We set the standards for mobile projection screens more than 10, 20 years, years ago. And most other companies just followed suit with that. So it's this question like, how, do you have to kind of, do you have to assemble it a lot? How big is it supposed to be? Is there a certain aesthetic in, involved as well? Because um, one of our best-selling products is, is very, very popular with um, scenic designers. It's called the full white range. And I'm not just trying to, you know, I'm not sales. I'm just trying to sell this to you. But because it has, I mean, it, what you will see at the end of the day is just, you're just going to see a borderless projection screen, which means if you then project onto it, it seems as if the image is basically hovering, floating in midair because you don't see any borders per se. You can also have that in a curved version. So it's it's these kinds of things where if you just walk into, a, let's say, a venue to, to be generic, you wouldn't necessarily think of the screen itself because all you'd see was the picture in that sense. And But then there's other like conference rooms and they say, no, actually, we do would like to have this kind of uh, visible frame and there's, or whether there's a home cinema application, although that's not our main market, but we do have some cool solutions for that as well. So the answer is, it depends, but it really comes down to the quality of the materials used and the the engineering. If you look at the profiles of the, let's say, the, these borderless full wide screens, nobody would, you know, unless you're a technician, why would you look at the, the profile of a frame? I mean, the question is, if you've ever, the again, lame analogy, if you bought 
a painting or something. How often did you inspect the actual frame and how that, you know, so most people don't. But developing that, these little things or that you just have the right type of screw or how it's, it all fits together is little differences that, that make a big difference in the end. So the, the good thing is that if, if we really try to build to build products that last for as long as possible, so there definitely are a lot of customers who have frames, like projection screen frames that are maybe two decades old, but we can still supply new surface materials for them or if, if they um, need to change some of the components. In a lot of cases, that's not a problem helping them with that. So, yeah, so the answer is it depends. Are we talking, we are mainly focused on indoor products, for example. So it's like, what is the setting in which you want to use? What and, and is there, you know, do you are we talking about a situation where you can control all the lighting sources 100%? Are we talking about a situation where you will have certain ambient light that might actually somehow interfere with what you're seeing? I mean, that's something that we're actually going to briefly touch upon LDI because we have such a big portfolio. You can't show everything to the same degree, but there's a lot, there's been a lot of development recently with regards to ambient light rejection, rejecting surfaces and solutions for like conference rooms or whether it's a home cinema where you're not able to just, you know, block out light completely because there is a difference and, you know, it's important people realize there are, there are options, but it always, the devil is always in the details and we're trying to, to offer as many options as possible as long as we can maintain a certain quality standard. And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia-Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. So we've been talking hardware all this time. What about software? Because of the complexity it, you know, of, of that, that topic, it's boom. So now Pixera is the name of our media server range, our media server software and hardware. We had media server systems before, but we decided to start from scratch just a couple of years ago. We had a very powerful render engine, but in terms of the usability, we thought, okay, this is, we're going to take a risk here. We want to take what we learned from the media server sector in the last 10 years, and we want to create a, in particular, a user interface experience that to us is more contemporary and is pointing to the, to the future. So the, the main idea behind Pixera was that you have different main navigational tabs that all offer different viewpoints and entryways into your projects. Pixera is available as software only, but you can also buy dedicated hardware from our end. And now what's come, it has just been added. I mean, recently, this was just released a couple of days ago. This is why it's going to be very, very nice for LDI visitors to actually visit our booth there because this is so new. Is that we also added a new show control solution that is deeply embedded in Pixera or rather 
we opened a gate in, by adding another main navigational tab that is a direct uh, connection to our Pixera API. And that's, we talked about the difficulties of communicating that. There's so much you can do with that, that it's actually a bit of a challenge for us. And we're in the process of finding out what is the thing we should highlight about this because it creates so many possibilities for cross-connecting systems and also a very simple way of designing user interfaces for control scenarios. So it's going to be interesting for us to see what um, our customers um, are going to say, no, no, you should focus on that bit or that bit, because in theory, you can do so many things with it. We already support a lot of protocols and we have so-called modules that are even more direct ways of interacting with the API. So in a sense, if you're already, if you're like a professional who can actually code, you can do so much with it. I mean, you can go, you know, you can really follow that white rabbit deep into the hole. But even if you're just a technician who's not really focused on program or something, you can still, you can easily create so many control scenarios where you cross-connect technologies. Because that's the that's the blessing and the curse of the media server business it's right in the middle it's like the, i like i like to liken it to the bridge of a ship it's kind of it's where you control and are con- where you're connected to so many different aspects that it's kind of sometimes hard to focus or to or to narrow it down to say that's the one thing you do obviously that people would then say oh is it a little jack of all trades master of none no 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 no, no. it's it, that, that's that's not the right analogy there are a lot of things we can do really, really well. But of course, most media service systems have certain specialties or certain aspects where the user base says, well, for that kind of scenario, I'm particularly enthralled and in awe of that system. The latest thing that's been happening now, and as you know, is a huge trouble, is um, XR, MR, that, you know, extended reality, mixed reality, these kinds of scenarios and the show control bit, which we've just opened a box of beautiful worms and we'll see where that goes in the near future. <laughs> Do you have like a research and development branch of AB Snowfall that does the research on, you know, what type of show control? And, and in terms of show control, is it directed to a particular market like live events or, you know, concert content distribution? Is it is there the research in, in multiple markets or how did that yeah, evolve? Yeah, there's, there's definitely research in the multiple markets because traditionally we have had customers in those different markets. And it's a, bit, a little bit... It's uh, again a blessing and a curse because um, you can't. The nature of prioritizing means you can't always prioritize everything. It's a bit like saying, you know, what are the highlights? Oh, they're all highlights. Yeah, but that means there are no highlights. You know what I mean? So one part is obviously us trying to be ahead of the curve with regards to certain topics where we think, oh, we should focus on that, and that's going to be so kick ass when that comes out. And then the other thing is, it's organic. If you have customers who say, you know, I would love to use your system. We've got this huge project coming up and we so want to use your system, but there's this tiny little thing lacking. And I think if you had that, then that would be, that, that would be amazing. And then if you get enough comments along that, you know, line, then sometimes that might also influence our roadmap, you know, because with software development is, is very, very hard work and you can't just, change it's a bit like you know again navigating a ship you can't just change course all the time so it's again it's an organic process between what we have identified as being important what our customers tell us is important and then how that plays out in the real world and that's then how you end up with the prioritizing that's actually happening so yeah so and always sometimes you know it's 
it, it's 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 great because you get some customers who are then super enthusiastic and they say, "Oh, you've got that thing! I've waited for this for a year, and yes, thank you so much." But then at the same time, because you have to prioritize that, you will always get somebody saying, "Well, but I've got this thing that I asked you two years ago, and it's still not in there." But for the specific stuff that I'm doing, it's so important. Well, we try to take a very broad approach and. With every new major release, like the 1.8, we try to have at least something for everyone, whether you're basically mainly focused on live events or installations or the broadcast side of things. So, yeah, that's how we're doing it. What are your main markets? Well, the main markets, I think, right now would be, I mean, the installation market is super, super important. And the live events side of things is also very, very important. However, it's not just a buzzword. I mean, the technology convergence of the last 10, 15 years, at least from my limited point of view, means that the clear distinctions between these markets have you know, begun to overlap more and more. So sudden, suddenly you have, um, I mean, let's, let's, let's take live event. If, if we'd looked at a live event 25 years ago, and what that would trigger in us, what's a live event? Then you'd say, yeah, well, maybe let's use a classic example would be um, a rock concert as a live event or something like this. But now what do we have if we have now, now that we live in the age of uh, gaming, now you have a live event, but that live event also needs to be streamed and they also want to have, uh, you know, a mixed reality approach or extended reality as part of the mix. Is that then you can say, so you certainly need technology that you maybe know from a broadcast environment, but Actually, it's just a thing for two or three nights. But does that mean that it's so? It's not a fixed installation. But at the same time, they might need to have like a, a network set up that would be very similar to something that would be a fixed install. So I, I'm thinking, of course, there you still have these polarities between what's a fixed install, like a museum, and a classical touring event. But I think there are more and more situations where the technologies overlap and converge and people from the broadcast side of things are now looking at live event technology, live event, looking at broadcast, looking at fixed install, um, especially when it comes to things like interactivity and all this. So, yeah, but I think the installation market and you know is, is the most important market at the moment together with classical live event side of things but then theme parks again being its own thing but especially with our show control solution and um, smart monkeys uh, isaac work workspace has also been integrated into the control solution so they're also very well known in the theme park world and again back off automation technologies we've also created a module that includes you know kind of makes the direct connection to some of their stuff to ours so they're also very fixed install based it's um we'll, we'll see where it goes <laughs> and also the, do you see that with the advancement of technology that, which it's probably from my perspective too, it's a lot more accessible to general people who want to install it into whether it be, you know, some kind of museum installation, but more even in hotels and things like that, right? Because it's less, the software is a little bit more easier to manage. It can have a front end that has an interface that's manageable by generic stuff. We've got laser projectors that are, you know, less maintenance than changing out bulbs. And so, it, for me, it just feels like it's it's becoming more feasible to put together a package that a that general people can manage, not having specialists and technicians that have to be there to run it day to day, right? No, no, ab absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, this is my theory, not even a theory, but another driving force is just the same mobile phones. Learned behavior 
is changing. I mean, there's a generational shift. And I think you can see this most clearly in the way that people watch television, if they watch television at all, in the old fashioned sense. You know, I mean, only 10 years ago, I mean, 10 years ago, uh, a traditional broadcast network, that was, they had the highest high end specs. That was, couldn't get any better than that. Now, actually, it's the other way around. Now we've got, got a lot of um, TV networks where, I mean, if we're talking terrestrial networks, we're, we're still talking about HD, if, you know, if even full HD, whilst with with the certain live events, you you have, you know, 4K workflows are becoming the norm suddenly. So at the same time, you have all, all these, especially the younger generation who cannot imagine a life without their mobile phone. I'm not having a philosophical debate here. I'm just stating facts. And if they're used to really, if they're used to really good, usability because certain well-known um, massive companies have introduced you know very very good usability concepts then so at some point they will just be disappointed if they then go to a museum or wherever else and suddenly the user experience is just like what's that what's that crap and you can actually sometimes you can actually see i see that happening if you have uh, you know especially younger people or teenagers and they are confronted with a user experience that is like year 2000 ish and it's like what's Monkey. that yeah <laughs> So, so, I, so the magic is, you know, the, the important bit is being able to uh, fit more and more complexity and amazing things into a uh, solution that in the end just has a very dead, simple user interface. What's your main feature that you're going to showcase at LDI? I mean, with regards to the screens, it, it definitely, although it's been around for a little while now, it's uh, because product cycles in the uh, projection screen world are just a lot slower and cons more conservative than when it comes to the you know computer hardware, software side of things. So we're, we're still showing the 8064 shift, which again, is, is, if you haven't followed this, it seems like a no-brainer. The thing is now, imagine you can have a large mobile projection screen and usually, which wasn't a big problem, but it was sometimes a bit of a challenge if let's say you had a stage that's uh, supposed to be completely level but then you put it there and then you see well it was supposed to be but something there's some factors we can't change with regards to the to the setup but then you'd have to adjust you have to kind of disassemble it again and then height adjust it now what you can do is you can just uh, you have two super simple locking mechanisms you just you know it just takes literally a couple of minutes to set up the whole, even a large more projection screen, and it takes seconds to height adjust it. We have a clearly marked height scale, and you just, you know, really, you reach under the frame, and then you have this very satisfying sound as you can pull it up. Or um, I'm a sucker for good sounds, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, and then you can um, release one of the locking mechanisms and put it down. And with that scale, it's super, super easy. And it's like, it's like yeah, but why didn't? I mean, that's what you mean to be able almost like a, a ladder type thing to kind of adjust that. What's the big thing about this? Well, the big thing about this is that in terms of the fine engineering skills needed to actually create a product that works on the road, that's the challenge. So it sounds like something super simple, but to actually, from having the idea that we need this to actually having a product that works, that was the challenge. So we're still showing that. But we also inform people who are interested in, in the latest developments with regards to ambient light, uh, ambient light rejection technologies. And I think um, our US team, they also have one or two little special things they're going to show. I'm not going to talk about now just to get some direct customer feedback, because seriously, that's something that trade fairs, like physical trade fairs are amazing for, to actually have these experienced professionals come come to you and you having a, a, a dialogue and they them give, giving you uh, you know a piece of their mind, but in a good way, saying like, no, this is great, but you should add that because if you don't, 
do this or this is something that you should change. That also has an influence on product development. And on the side of Pixera, it's the 1.8. So as I said, the the both the uh, show control aspect, which we call Pixera control, is a huge topic. But at the same time, also the fact that we have, which is also tied in with the kind of whole XR, uh, MR uh, topic, is that we've uh, integrated game engines, so the Unreal Engine and, and these things. So I think a lot of people would love to see what the 1.8 has now, uh, has brought to the table. because. Um, We've taken our time, not because we're being uh, lazy, but we, we got a lot of important feedback that just needed to to be implemented into that version. So um, that's what we're looking at. Time for our last questions, I guess. What is your favorite time about your job? Well, honestly, the fa- I mentioned this briefly at the beginning. The favorite thing about my job is that I can I can run on emotional energy, although that sounds very woo-woo, because I don't have to uh, be a hypocrite. I don't have to um, pretend to like what I'm trying to spread the word about. I, I can I can actually be proud of. I mean, I, as I said, I'm just a marketing monkey on one hand, but I think you, know, you also need. And I'm not the only one. I've got two amazing team colleagues. Three <laughs> monkeys. No, no, I'm, I'm the monkey. I never dare. I'll go those two. <laughs> my two late. My two lady colleagues. It's like, oh great. So you you know you want a podcast? You call us monkeys. No, I did not. I did not. I did not. <laughs> No, no, I did not. So obviously, I'm not one of those genius software developers and these kind of things. But it's just, it's just such a good feeling to know that everybody on board wants to, you know, always go beyond what's the current status quo to create something cool, to create something that that ultimately gives our customers the tools to create beauty. I mean, seriously, something, something beautiful. And and that's what's good about my job that I can enjoy it i don't have to pretend i if the company is successful it means that at least i didn't make too many mistakes and being so close to the product that's what's the best thing about my job that's that's what gives me the greatest satisfaction is there anything that you would change in your industry or your job or uh especially maybe coming out of the pandemic is there anything you you'd like to see happen well, uh, I could give you some 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 super cool sounding creative answer here, but I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the pandemic thing. I just the only thing I wish was that we'd already be a step further towards the new normal, because I mean, you can never go back in time, and I'm the whole pandemic will have repercussions. You know, I'm not a building expert or something like this, but I'm absolutely sure that worldwide, just a lot of things will change in terms of I don't know, new airports are being built, new life event venues, regulations, all this kind of stuff. But I think it's going to take us another six, seven, eight months to get to the new normal where we'll be able to then work from that. So I just wish that we already were. (laughs) If I could fast forward 10 months, it would be with a new normal. That's the the one thing. Uh, And, and, you know, P.S., I wish there were more people that would realize that this is a kick-ass industry because a lot of people who might actually have the technical skills or other skills don't even really think about this industry. They just, you know, a lot of people, I mean, they're like really young people, they think like, oh, maybe dream job is I want to, I don't, I don't know, I want to be, a, I want to work for a computer game developing co- uh, you know, company or I want to uh, work in the TV industry, I want to work for Netflix or I want to go to Hollywood or some dreams or something like, like that or I want to work in the music industry. But the general AV industry is, is, is just sometimes for people, it's, it's neither positive or negative because it doesn't register on the radar. So I, I wish more people would discover that this is an amazing industry. 
And I would say, arguably, we could have a philosophical conversation. It's probably the most widespread industry within or like subgenre of the live in- entertainment industry. Everyone does CV. Yeah, that's, that's inspiring. I mean, because that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not a properly qualified nerd, but I am, I am a nerd. So I, I, I get a kick out of finding out about this stuff. It's like, I, I'm not a gadgeteer. I don't have to buy the latest mobile phone, but I'm fascinated. It's beautiful. And just, just the other day, um, I was at an award ceremony for the first time again, you know, like in ages. And some of our customers won awards, which was great. And I just thought, I'm looking at the, the screen and looking at the, and they were using Pixera, <laughs> which is great um, <laughs> for, for the play out. But just thinking, wow, I'm looking at a, a beautiful 4K image. And although resolution is everything, just thinking when I first started, how like like 11 years ago in that industry, it's like the oh, 4K was such a, you know, such a distant thing just coming up. And now it's it's there and it's, wow, really is, is, very impactful. So to be part of that process and to kind of know a little bit what's happening, I, that's exciting, I think. Yeah, I think Anna and I have been really enjoying these podcasts leading up to LDI because we, 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 we go through a, cr- a cross-section of a lot of people through the industry, but we haven't dug specifically into, you know, speaking to people like you. So we, we, I think we have to do a bit more of this because we're enjoying a, like getting our tech nerd on as well and, and we like figuring out what's happening in the, in the AV world. So it's super cool. Just for our audience, um, how would they find you or the website and learn more about AV Stumpful and, and what their products are? Yeah, so our main website is www.avstumpful.com. But if you're, if, if production screens is not your thing and you just want to focus on the media server side, then we also have a dedicated site www.pixera.one. So P-I-X-E-R-A dot O-N-E. And, um, you know, if, if you're any, anywhere close uh, to the LDI, just visit us at our booth, um, our US team. There's going to be some European colleagues as well, but mainly our US team. Because um, as you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's it's only recently have us Europeans been allowed. Child. Absolutely. So it's, it's it wasn't uh, easy to plan for this, but it'd be lovely to, to see everybody. And as you know, there's an aliveness, as much as I actually super enjoy this 21st century, you know, kind of Hong Kong, US, Germany, that I, as much as I enjoy that, enjoy having met you now for the first time, there is a, a beautiful quality, uh, a certain aliveness that you can only get from a physical person-to-person meeting at a trade fair. And I've missed that a lot. And I'm already looking forward to ISE in Barcelona very much because, um, you know, finally, the you know, the whole big family can be together again. Hanging out again together. So uh, are we going to, the final test is, do you know the booth number of uh, AV Stumpfall at LDI? Well, I do know the booth number of every stuff for the LDI. We are going to be at, it's from the night, also and the date as well. So we're going to be from the 19th to the uh, 21st of uh, 21st of November, which is actually this, oh gosh, isn't that next, next week, isn't it? It's in the next 10 days or so, 10, uh, 10 11 Yeah, ne- next week. Next week. It's next, oh days. gosh, yeah. There's, oh gosh, it's like it just sent out one press release for the, for, for the Infocom <laughs> and then it, no, but we're going to be at um, we're going to be at booth uh, one eight three five. Pretty sure that's it. Let me did, did check that's right there. That's uh, I'm going to yeah. No, I'm very impressed. One, I think oh, we've put everybody on the spot with that, and they haven't been able to answer so quickly. So one eight three five is the yeah. No, the thing is, usually it's it's the uh, it, it's pretty easy, but it's with uh, with Infocom just being so close to LDI this year. It's like I usually mix up the, the booth numbers all the time. But yeah, and it'd be lovely to see to see a lot of people, and because we need the feedback, as I said, we need the feedback because that's another thing. We're not cold calling people 
during the middle of the year saying, can you give us some feedback? We have these ideas, but just, you know, having a nice chat at a trade fair, that's when this happens naturally in a way that that doesn't have like a creepy stalkerish uh, character. <laughs> I need some it. market research about your projection screen. <laughs> yeah, all the other ways. We had this idea, what do you think? It's, it's a bit odd, but if you actually, you know, <laughs> if, if you really have a conversation and that, that these things can develop out of that. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Hans, it was really lovely to meet you and thank you for spending some time with us today on Theatre No, Alive. thank you for having me on on my waffling yeah. ways. But, it's you know, I really enjoyed it and um, I wish I could be at LDI. But uh, either of you going to be maybe travelling to Europe next year to one of the uh, trade fairs? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I would like to. Yeah. You go to Plaza too, right? Well, we go to Plaza. Whether I'm going to Plaza, it's, it's, a, it's a, a different different question. Um, we're not exhibiting. Well, which Plaza you mean? That's another thing. Well, we're not exhibiting, but we might be. It's it's again. It's it's next year with a the pandemic. There's a lot of question marks with regards to what's happening now. I think what we should all do is cross our fingers that first of all, LDI is going to be a major success, and then that ISE, ISE can happen because that um, for for us in terms of the. Um, the different demographics of customers, that is definitely like the biggest one, the most international one. And it would be really good if it could actually happen at the beginning of next year. Yeah. What what's it slate? What date is it slated for? Do you know? It's always uh, right at the right at the beginning of uh, February. And I right. have to look this up now. So I wish I could could have just told you. It's yeah, first of February until the fourth of February in Barcelona. I, I don't speak Spanish or mm-hmm. Catalog Catalonian for that for that matter. But <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm just a clown who somehow blagged his way to getting a job in this industry but uh, I'm still That's amazing. Maybe, maybe one day they'll discover I have no skills whatsoever but hopefully may that day <laughs> may that day be somewhere in the far future so. absolutely absolutely wonderful well thank you again for spending time with us today and uh, best of luck for uh, the rest of the year it was a great pleasure you take care thank you bye Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.